Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Yo, 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 what's cracking, y'all? This is a brand new podcast, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> that just brought some of the hood to North Texas is all, man. Come on, this, this is exactly what it was like in Mission Viejo. This is not what it was like in Mission Viejo. Not Everyone the Mission Viejo got, I was ever a part of. The ghetto bird was always rolling up in the hood. I heard gunshots firing left and right. <laughs> Was that not your experience? No. That'd be my part of Mission Viejo. I, I, that's what I love about this podcast. I never know how you're going to come on after I give that opening. Welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible yeah, I, Honestly, I do think about it. I do think, okay, what would be different and fun? So today was a special one. <laughs> okay, there you go. Well, we are here for another episode and we are diving into a brand new book in the Old Testament. And uh, we are in the book of Acts still in the New Testament. Uh, but the, the book that we're d- tackling uh, over the next couple of days, few days, I guess, in the Old Testament is the book of Esther. And uh, the book of Esther is a unique book, time frame wise, just to, to kind of frame where we've been and uh, and what we've been studying recently. The events in the book of Esther take take place back in the, the Persian Empire in between the events of Ezra 1 through 6 and Ezra 7 through 10. So Ezra 1 through 6, Ezra 7 through 10 were year way, year wise, uh, somewhere between 483 and 473 BC is kind of when the, the main events in the book of Esther are taking place. Uh, the book of Esther is named after the main character in the book, or at least one of the main characters in the book, and that is Esther, or her Hebrew name was Hadassah, uh, Hadassah meaning Myrtle. Everybody wants to be named Myrtle. Did you ever have a Myrtle in your life, Pastor Rod? Uh, not that I know of. Maybe in the senior saints ministry. Yeah. I, I, but possibly. no one I knew personally. No. I, I, my, my wife has a Myrtle somewhere in her line because there's a Aunt Myrtle's chocolate cake. And, and Aunt Myrtle was a Mormon. And yet here's the family secret. She used to put a cup of coffee in her chocolate <gasps> cake mix. I know. Oh, that's scandalous. I know. I hope you don't mention her last name because she's not going to be on their church records for much longer. Speaking of scandal, the book of Esther, this Myrtle, this Hadassah, if you will. Wow. She's a little bit scandalous too, as we'll get into. Or at least the whole thing. The whole thing is 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 somewhat scandalous. I was scandalized all over again when I read this. Just it. Yeah. You took a shower afterwards. I had to. Yeah. Well, she is, uh, the like I said, one of the main characters of the book. She is raised in Persia there by who, her cousin, her older cousin, a man by the name of Mordecai. Uh, her parents are no longer living. Mordecai is bringing her up there and bringing her up under the reign of a particular king. And that king is Xerxes by his Greek name, which is much easier to pronounce than his Hebrew name or than his Persian name, which is Ahasuerus. Uh, Pastor Rod, you were pronouncing that before we came on. Do you want to give your best Persian pronunciation there? Actually, it's not even Persian. I'm reading it right from the Hebrew text. Achazuweris. Achazuweris. Okay. Achazuweris. There's a ch in there. There's Pastor Rod with your Hebrew flex for the day. I'm I'm reading it straight from the Hebrew text. Well, okay. So I have my Logos in front of me, my Logos Bible study software, and I just press and hold on that button. And it says it for you. And it, well, it doesn't say it for you. It tells you how to pronounce it. Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus. Yeah. Anyways, he uh, ruled from about 486 to 465. So this is kind of right in his sweet spot of ministry. He takes the throne and kind of establishes things. Massive empire here, India, all the way down to Ethiopia. So this is a ton 
a ton of land here, a ton of ge- geog- geog- geographical, a ton of space that he's, he's ruling over here. And so he gets himself kind of established there. And in the third year, he throws this massive party. In fact, so massive. Did you catch this, Pastor Rod? It was a six-month party. Oh, you know I paid attention to that. 180 days. I'm thinking for our one-year anniversary as a church. Done. Six-month party. Done. We will do it. 180 days. A six-month feast, and he's inviting everybody there, and he's showing off his kingdom, and along the way, he wants to show off a part of his kingdom that is not necessarily a physical part of his kingdom, like a wall or a building or money or anything else, but his wife, Vashti, one of his many wives. He had a harem of wives, but the the queen in the midst of all that was this woman named Vashti. Um, and so he calls for Vashti and wants her to come and, and uh, appear before his, his nobles, all the people that he's invited. And there's a lot of question here. And this is the question of like, does the scandal begin here? Mm. What did he want her to do? Right. And we'll keep it PG here as parents. You guys are, are listening to this maybe with your kids, but there, this could have been a scandalous appearance. We'll just put it that way. Uh, we don't know for sure, but Vashti refuses. And that nonetheless was uh, an act of defiance to this king. She was beckoned by the king and her refusal uh, leads to some uproar within not just the, 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 palatial court there, but all of the kingdom, because the, the noblemen, the, the officials are concerned now, Hey, her defiance is going to start to, to bleed into the rest of our home. So you got to do something about this. And so, uh, Hazuerus, he, uh, he calls her in and, and basically banishes her. He says, that, that's it. She's never going to come before me again. And so she is relegated to obscurity uh, for the rest of her life, it would appear here at least. Well, says a little time later in chapter two of our reading, he, it seems like regrets this decision as he remembers her at the beginning of chapter two, verse one, there's, there's this idea as he remembers her, that he's remembering her fondly. And so, um, his, uh, his cronies come alongside him and they suggest, Hey, you know what? You need a new Vashti in your life. So let's gather all the pretty ladies in the kingdom and bring them in and you can pick a new one. Then we get introduced in verses five through eight there to Mordecai and Esther. And we get some backstory there. The Jew in the Susa of the Citadel, his name was, was Mordecai. He was bringing up, verse 7, Hadassah, that is Esther, uh, the daughter of his uncle, his cousin. Mordecai took her in as his own daughter. Well, as it would have it, Esther was attractive, and so she's brought in to be one of the ladies in the harem, and she begins to uh, win people over. And it was a whole year that she was in this harem preparing for her appearance before the king. It was a 12-month period of preparation, which is a long time. Sometimes when we're reading through multiple chapters at once, we lose track of the time that passes. So this is a, a year of preparation here that she undergoes before she goes in, and it says all the way down to verse 15, she was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. She goes in, she appears, and the king loved her more than all the women. She won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So there you have Esther brought to the throne. She's made the new queen. And it's interesting, right? Because one of the the other scandalous, quote unquote, elements of this book, Pastor Rod, is that there's no mention of God in this book, which has caused a lot of people in church history to question its canonicity. Mm. Does it belong in the Bible? Because it doesn't have God. And yet I think what we see throughout the the pages of the book of Esther, it, it's undeniable God's sovereignty. I just found myself writing that down as I was reading through it uh, in preparation for our podcast. Just here's sovereignty, here's sovereignty, here's sovereignty, here's sovereignty. God orchestrating all these events to put Esther in just the right spot where he wanted her to be. Yeah, and part of the problem with that too is seeing God's hand in all of these providential maneuverings is that some of these maneuverings are things that we would be like, oh, that's awful. And the fact that Mordecai is putting his cousin 
prison in this situation where she has to sleep with the king in order to determine whether or not he's going to keep her around is kind of a big deal. I, I don't know that Mordecai should be lifted up as a, a role model role model worthy of our emulation, at least in this regard, because this isn't a good thing. However, what we're seeing here is that God's hand is, as, as you're saying, undeniably evident, moving the pieces on the chessboard all around every twist and turn of the story, even through and perhaps especially through this sinful actions of two people here. I mean, Esther's going along with this thing. I don't know what kind of fight she put up or if she put one up, but Mordecai's favorable to it. Maybe it was a law of the land and he had to bring her. I don't know, but I don't get that there's much of a fight put up here. I'm not a big fan of that. I don't like that. But again, God's at work. That's hard to deny. Right. Even at the end of chapter two, as Mordecai overhears this plot against the king and tells Esther and Esther goes and tells the king in the name it says of Mordecai, verse 22, that'll come into to play later on in the book. But then in chapter three, we get introduced to another character. Dun, dun, dun. Haman. Haman's a bad, bad, bad dude. And in fact, you'll notice in chapter three, verse one, Haman the Agagite. Now, Agagite, let's think about that. An Agagite would be a descendant of Agag. Agag. So is it an Agagite or Agagite? Anyways, a descendant of Agag. You may remember Agag. In fact, it's one of the like most manly scenes that I think we get back in First Samuel, because Saul was commanded to kill the Amalekites, all of them. Yep. And yet he spared King Agag. Oh. And he comes back, and Samuel discovers it. And in First Samuel fifteen, we get this. This scene where the rated R. Yeah, where the old prophet Samuel it says dispatches we'll put it that way Dispatch. dispatches agag mm-hmm. he ends agag's uh, in the life most colorful way yes yes you can go back parents and read that and the then decide red. if you want to read it to your <laughs> your parents but this guy's a descendant of agag and so here you see a conflict between the amalekites and the israelites continuing because of saul's disobedience here and that factors into this uh, mordecai anytime he saw Haman come by would not bow down to him because I think Mordecai understood who this guy was and the history there and he didn't want to honor this guy so he would not show him honor here that made Haman angry and Haman hatches this plot and he says you know what because of this I'm going to take out the entirety of the Jews he goes to the king and kind of flatters the king and lies and deceives and then gets the king to issue this edict that is going to basically lead to the extermination of the Jewish people or so he thinks and letters are sent out and it was it says they're the 13th day the 12th month which is the month of adar and to plunder their goods there was a date on the calendar this was fixed it was going to happen and because of the king's decree and because of the laws of persia it couldn't be undone so from a human perspective man it looks like haman and the bad guys have won but again god's sovereign still sovereign over this and we're going to see how that folds unfolds or continues to unfold in our reading tomorrow well even interesting a point to add on to that one of the things that makes this all the more exciting and entertaining is that uh, Mordecai himself is from the family of Kish, which was Saul's family. Which was Saul's family. Saul was the one who was part of this Agag and, and uh, Israelite contention. And here we go again. We're seeing kind of a, a rehashing of this ancient battle that is yet to be resolved. Or at least it seems like it might be now that Haman has a a role of honor and dignity and the ability to take out the Israelites. And and this is a reminder for us, right? When things seem dire, God is still orchestrating and in control, right? I mean, here you have a situation. It doesn't get more dire than that, right? Think for a moment if all of a sudden there was an edict that went out that all Christians should be exterminated everywhere they are. And you, you think, well, that sounds that stinks pretty far-fetched. Set but my that, house in order. Right. That's exactly what's happened here. This decree has gone out, and it's gone out from the most powerful man in the world at the time, and yet God's still at work. 
And it's a reminder to us, no matter what is going on on the, the political scene, in the news headlines, God is sovereign over what's going on right now. And that's a comfort to us uh, as we continue to navigate through this. In our New Testament reading, though, we turn to uh, a situation. If you'll remember last time, yesterday, uh, we left off where some people were selling everything they had and they were coming and bringing the proceeds to the church. And they were giving so that everybody could be taken care of and the needs of all people could be met. And that was a good thing. Well, chapter five opens up and it says, but, and right away you see a word like that, you know, there's going to be a contrast. This is contrasting the good in the end of chapter four with some bad that's about to unfold here in chapter five It says, but there was a man named Ananias and his wife, Sapphira. And if you know the story, they sell some of their property and they bring some of the proceeds, not all of it, but they bring some of the proceeds to give it to the apostles. And Peter asks uh, the, the, the question there in verse three, he says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it was yours, didn't, couldn't you do whatever you wanted to do with it? What, what's, your, what's your end game, in other words? And then he says this, which is an important part of our Trinitarian understanding here. If you're ever wondering, hey, is it a way, does the Bible ever say that the Holy Spirit is God? Okay. Again, look, look there at verse three. Satan has filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, jump down to verse four. You have not lied to man, but to God. God right? So there you go. We see a Trinitarian explanation concept here where the Holy Spirit is called God right here in Acts chapter five. Ananias hears this. He falls over dead right there on the spot. His wife comes in, not knowing what's happened, but knowing what Ananias has do- had done. And, and she comes in and, and Peter says, hey, tell me, did you really sell the land for this much, for such and such, for su- this amount of money? And in a way, you know, this is Peter not being deceptive, but perhaps even giving her an opportunity, even still to, to repent, to confess, to say, yeah, no, we, we were wrong and we shouldn't have done this. But she like her husband lies and she drops dead as well. Shame. How is it? Verse nine, that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord, but notice verse 11. So these two die, but notice what God has done through the process. Verse 11, it says great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Remember, this was a new thing that was happening here. And so as all of these new converts were coming in, a lot of them Jews, but not all of them Jews, they are realizing that God is not to be trifled with, mm-hmm. that there is a, a measure of honor and respect that he's due. And the story of Ananias and Sapphira really helps to drive that home. Yeah, one of the things I read in some of the commentaries that I have about this chapter is the comment about, well, two things. Number one, take a look at verse three again. If you have your Bible with you, Peter said to Ananias, why has, and get this, Satan, Satan enters the picture as well. Why has Satan filled your heart? That's kind of a scary phrase if you think about it. Mm. Satan having some kind of role in this person's heart. Well, then the question arises, okay, well, one, how is Satan doing this? And he's, he's active. You may not see Satan's hand in the last four chapters, but he's there. He's at work. He, he's got a plan. And clearly his plan is unfolding here and now because he's, he's being called out. Satan has filled your heart to do something, to lie to the Holy Spirit. Now, that raises the question then. Are Ananias and Sapphira believers? Some of your commentaries, uh, rather some of your study Bibles will say, well, they are believers and therefore Christians, you ought to be careful because Satan can fill your heart to do something wicked or to do something evil as well, to lie to the Holy Spirit or do something far worse. Other commentaries will say, well, no, they were never believers in the first place. That's why they were able to have their heart filled um, with with, with Satan's influence in the first place. And, And here's the definitive, you can't argue with me answer about whether or not they were Christians. We don't, we don't know. I don't know that you can conclusively say, at least from the text, one way or the other. You know, say. No say, but Peter, Peter was influenced by the devil. Jesus had to say, get behind me, Satan. Now, whether or not 
Satan was in Peter is a different question altogether. But Satan has clearly influenced Peter in that moment such that when he's speaking to Jesus saying, you're never going to go to the cross, Jesus has to say, no, that's not true. This case here, I think one of the takeaways for us is to recognize that Satan is active in the church today. He's not a fairy tale. He's not an ancient foe that we made up to kind of shadow box with God. No, this guy's at work and he's got plans to do evil to you and to your family. Scripture says he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's, he's got evil plans. You should pray against that evil influence and guard yourself against it any way you have opportunity. Be aware. Yes, be aware. And also uh, another thing that, that hit me as I was reading this too is uh, be careful about your worship. Um, as, as Ananias and Sapphira are coming, they're, they're doing this. Why are they doing this? They're doing this probably, uh, reading between the lines a little bit, but but probably be because they're, they're seeing everybody else doing this, spoken of highly in, of in the church. Like, oh, did you hear about the Smiths? They, they sold everything they had and they, they gave it all to the church. And, right. and that, right. wasn't that so awesome? Mm-hmm. And they want to be part of it. But they, they want, want to the be acclaim. They want the praise. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I made a note as I was reading this, that God is not interested in our lip service or in, in nor is the church a, a platform for our glory. And so as you're thinking about serving, as you're thinking about giving, as you're thinking about, oh, here we go. Such good things. And we need to do all that, but it's not about us. Not about you. It's, it's not about you being recognized or you being noticed. And if you serve out the rest of your life in obscurity, but you serve faithfully in the church, well done, good and faithful servant, Jesus right? Jesus will reward that. That's the commendation that you're after. Who right. cares if your pastor calls you out from the front or not? If you're after the applause of men and not the acclaim of God, you're after you the wrong thing, reward. right? That's what Jesus said. You've Absolutely. got your reward if that's all you're there for. Absolutely. As the, the reading for our time this morning wraps up, or today wraps up in, in verses 12 through 16, we're just reminded of, of the, the uh, uniqueness of the early church here. They're still meeting in Solomon's portico, which means they're still gathering on the Temple Mount. These are still very much first century Jewish uh, Christians who uh, the, the temple was their place. That was where they knew to go and worship. And so they would gather there and they would gather there to worship. They would gather there to read from the word together. They would gather there to fellowship together. And it says there in verse 14, more than ever believe were added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women. So even as the fear so cool. falls, God is building his church and such a cool thing. And we hope that God continues to build his church here as well. So real quick, before you sign off, Pastor PJ, is Peter's shadow healing people? I know people are dying to find out. Is his shadow healing people? Well, well that's what verse 15 at least seems to suggest. And in 16, maybe sort of confirms it. Is his shadow healing people? Can your shadow heal people? My shadow can't heal people. God was he tried. <laughs> no, <laughs> maybe we need to try first. I just feel like that would be so awkward. I don't even know. I'd be out in the sun, like trying to turn in the right way. Like, hold on. Uh, let me hold on. <laughs> no, God is healing people. Right. And, and God is healing people. And, and is it his shadow that's causing it or his proximity or his, his nearness that's causing it? Uh, whatever it is, God is doing a work here again. Why? So that the message is validated by the miracle. It's not about, Peter saying, look at me and look how great I am. And if you're saying, do we need to do this today? No, we don't because we've got the completed scripture. The, the authority that we have in the church is to preach the word of God. I don't need to go out and heal somebody. That's not going to make the word of God any more true than it already is or any more authoritative than it already is. Mm. The word is the word. The word is the power here. But at this point in time, they weren't carrying around their New Testament. They didn't have the John MacArthur study Bible in their back pocket. What? So they, their message was being validated by these miraculous events that were happening. Right on. Thank you for clarifying. Because when I, when I read that, I again started asking myself, okay, is is this shadow actually doing something? Or 
is it that they did that in the hopes that a shadow would, but even even though he didn't, God was still healing people through their ministry. Right. I think the text doesn't make that abundantly clear one way or the other, but that is helpful. Right. Well, thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Yeah, we are so you. thankful for Super you guys. Thankful for you. You guys make this podcast. Well, we make it, but we, we're, the fact that you're here is why we make it. Right. Which makes it for us. Which makes it for us. In all this way, we all make it together. <laughs> hey, have a good day. We'll catch you tomorrow. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Thank you.